This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. I just really got the idea that there's, and like I said, I can't see your faces, but I just get the feeling there's some people in this room, and I don't know why, but you're hurting. Um, can, anybody, can, anybody, can anybody acknowledge that, just that you come in this place this morning and you're hurting a little? Maybe you've got a worry. Maybe you've got something on your mind. Maybe something hurt you. Maybe you hurt someone. Um, but I just, I just want to pray before we get started. I just, I just want to pray for us, and I just want to pray for the next few minutes, and I want to pray for you that, um, that something would happen in your heart that would just kind of let some of that go this morning, um, and that you would know that God is bigger than your struggle. Can we pray? God, thank you that you are bigger than our struggle. God, thank you for the person that's here this morning, and they don't even know why they don't feel good. They don't even know why they're sad or they're down. God, I just pray that you would uh, enter their minds right now, enter their hearts. God, let them feel your joy like never before. God, we pray for the person this morning who um, is thinking about that person they've hurt or that person they think they've hurt. And God, I just pray that they would feel your warmth and your joy this morning. God, that they would know that there's a God that is for them, not against them. There's a God that has put the same spirit in them that raised Christ from the grave. God, let us feel that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I am Jonathan. I have one child. His name is Riley. He is three years old. So, yes, I'm tired. And he um, is uh, 98.2% potty trained. So, yes, I am tired. And I have um, one wife. And yes, I am tired. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding about that part because she's here. And um, I have um, spent the previous eight years serving in Orangeburg, South Carolina, which is a big metropolis in South Carolina. Um, tourists from all over the world flocked to Orangeburg. And so we had to leave that city because it was just growing so fast and the tourism was taking over. So we decided to move to Greenville, South Carolina in December, uh, where I have served for the last um, six months. So they don't know me yet, so they still love me. And I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to, just trying to make a few jokes. Um, but I am at Springwell Church in Taylor's, is actually the technical city, and um, serve as Connections Pastor, and so I uh, do a good bit of preaching, do a good bit of teaching, get to help people connect to the church, and um, so that's, that's a little bit about me, a little bit about uh, where I came from. A couple of weeks ago, um, Pastor Kevin, uh, I knew I was coming, and I asked him, I said, what should I preach on? He said, I want you to take on repentance. I was like, thanks a lot, bud. Like, you invite the outside guy to come and talk about repentance. Thanks for setting me up for success there, buddy. We're going let, to let everyone leave encouraged. So anyway, but within that, this morning, I, I hope one of my prayers is always to encourage. And so I hope I encourage you a little bit this morning as we kind of unpack this idea of repentance. I'm going to try to do a little more teaching. Usually I'm more of the preacher side where I like to yell and I like to talk really loud, and I like to make really bad jokes, as y'all have just seen. Um, so I'm going to try to do a little more teaching this morning, because I think repentance is something that's largely misunderstood um, within the church. How many of you remember uh, the late 90s, the dot-com boom? Anybody? 
It was kind of this um, phenomenon. Um, I actually think of an episode of King of Queens. Anybody remember that episode? Somebody? No? Okay. Um, it's, it's cool. Y'all can leave me up here by myself. But uh, it was a sitcom called King of Queens, and they invested in this dot-com thing. But anyway, it, it, was, it, was, it was this thing where people were investing a lot of money in these dot-com kind of startups. The internet was kind of the big thing. It was growing. It was becoming more and more popular. And these companies were kind of founding themselves on the dot-com boom. The, the problem is, is that there was nothing really solid under a lot of these organizations and a lot of these companies and a lot of these businesses. And so people were investing money in these things and they were ultimately collapsing. And so I, I just wanted to pull a couple out uh, just to kind of give you some examples. Some of you are going to remember Pets.com. Do, do y'all remember Pets.com had the little sock puppet guy on the commercials? Pets.com um, was one of these in the late 90s, early 2000s. Pets.com more than $300 million were invested in Pets.com, and it lasted two years because 75% of that $300 million was invested in advertising. So we remember the sock puppet. None of us bought anything off of Pets.com. So ultimately, two years in, it failed. A lot of people lost a lot of money. Here's one that I didn't know of called Boo.com. Not like my boo, like you're my boo, but like Boo.com. And um, every time I say it, I'm going to say Boo.com. And anyway, it was a British company, and um, it didn't go so well either. Uh, it was uh, sold uh, branded fashion apparel online, and it actually burnt through $188 million in investment money in a year and a half. People invested money in something they thought was going to go well. It didn't. Another one is Pixelon.com. I didn't, I've never heard of this one either, but I thought this was interesting. His, the founder of Pixelon.com was Michael Feeney, who... I always think about Feeney on Boy Meets World. Some of y'all don't remember that, and you're better off for it. No, I'm just kidding. It was an awesome show if you grew up when I did. But a guy named Michael Feeney, uh, who was actually a more of a con man than an entrepreneur, um, one, uh, uh, the company was invested, had large amounts of, amounts of money invested, um, and they actually spent a lot of that on a Las Vegas uh, sh launch party that was peppered with stars and come to find out, eventually it came out that Mr. Feeney was actually David Kim Stanley, no offense, Stanley County, no relation, a man <laughs> on the run from the law living in his car who previously pled guilty to swindling $1.5 million. All of that company, all of the investment money, all of the money people put into that company was ultimately given to a CEO, a head of a company who was nothing more than a con man. Here's the reason that I bring that up. Because a lot of us want to, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a stock market guru, guru, but when we invest money, when we invest in something, we want to invest in something that yields a return, right? If I, if I invest um, money in my kid's sports, I want a scholarship, dadgummit, right? If I invest money in a money market, I want a return on that. If I invest money in a company, I want a return on that. Apple, um, the iPhone 8 launched two days ago. Apple stocks... I would think, I would hope, are soaring because people are putting money into Apple because there's a return coming. We want to put our money in things that have a return. This morning, for the next 21 minutes, I want to talk on this subject, the return of repentance. The return of repentance. In fact, I want to give you like five steps that I believe that I'm going to try to teach through that I believe are going to help kind of free us and make us better and more repentant people because there really is a return. It's something that we can invest in. But a lot of times I think we think, we think that the return is actually on not admitting our fault. Do you ever do that? 
like if, if, if you have a problem with someone or you have a problem with God or you failed him, a lot of times we think it's better and we're going to yield more of a return to hold on to guilt and to hold on to what we did rather than repent, rather than go to so-and-so and say, I'm sorry, we think it's better. We think it's better in the long run that if I just hold on that because I, I, I can't make myself vulnerable, right? With God, a lot of us, we're really good at justifying why what we've done is right rather than repenting for what we've done because we think that's going to yield the return. So we can justify it by saying, I'm better than they are. Well, God, I, I know what your word says, but that was, was kind of written in a different time. Or, or, but, but what about what they're doing? And so I think because of the culture that we live in where we kind of put up these walls and we never admit that we're wrong, that we've developed this idea that the return is really in holding on and not letting go and repenting. And so we invest in something that yields very little return. And as a matter of fact, it's, 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 it's something that, that actually not just doesn't yield a return, but it actually grows inside of us and it makes us, it makes us bitter. When we fail to repent, we become bitter at others. We become bitter at God. We start to wonder why God didn't do what we thought he would do. We start to wonder why we can't get rid of what we wanted to get rid of. It's because we're willing to hold on instead of repenting. So we're going to be in Luke 15. Luke 15, just to kind of set up this passage, um, the word uh, repentance is metatonia. I want to say that fast so y'all know that I, so y'all think I pronounced it correctly. Um, and that version of repentance, there's several different words translated in scripture as repentance, but that version means a change in mind and in purpose and in life to which remission of sin is promised. So in other words, repentance means I have changed my mind, I have changed direction, and so I receive forgiveness, whether it's with someone or it's with God. When I repent, I've changed my mind, I've changed direction, so now I'm going to walk in a new direction, and I'm going to receive forgiveness. And so Luke 15, many of you are going to know this story. Um, Jesus is kind of in a series of teaching on things that are lost, and so he gets into this. Um, he, he begins to teach three parables. The first one is a sheep that's gone astray. The second one is a coin that was lost, and so this lady turns her house upside down looking for this lost coin. And then the last parable that we're going to talk about this morning is the story of the prodigal son. If you've been in church any amount of time, you know this story. Hopefully I can kind of shed some different light on it this morning. Just to kind of get you started before we jump into Scripture, basically there's this father who obviously represents God. Father has two sons, obviously a wealthy man, and so the younger son one day decides, I am tired of doing this thing with my dad. Like, I just want my inheritance. He knows he's got a promised inheritance, so he's like, I just, I just want it. So he goes to his dad, and he's like, I'm, I don't want to wait on you to die. Like, I, I want my inheritance now, because I, I want to live a little. And, and what we often overlook is, in this culture, basically, when he went to his dad and said, I want my inheritance now, basically what he's saying is, he's saying, Dad, I want you dead. And so the son gets his inheritance, the Bible says that he goes off and invests in wild living, to which no return is yielded. He finds himself keeping pigs, feeding pigs in the middle of pig slop. And that's where I want to kind of pick up the story. Luke 15, starting in verse 16, this is what it says. It says, the young man became so hungry, so he's feeding the pigs, that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him but no one gave him anything. I don't think I've ever been hungry enough to want slop. Anybody? Some of you, you think your wife's cooking slop? Don't raise your hand. Um, 
But I've never been hungry enough to where I wanted slop. He's obviously ran out of money and he's ran out of time. And he's at his wit's end. Verse 17 says, When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, uh, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And I, here I am, dying of hunger. The first step in repentance is to realize. If we're going to invest in repentance and we're going to yield the return of repentance, the first thing we have to do is realize. And, and here's, what, here's what I want you to hear. Desperation often initiates realization. Desperation often initi- initiates realization. So here's this, here's this son. He's insulted his dad. He's lived for however long in, 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 in doing his own thing, investing in the things that the world told him to invest in. He's gone his own way. He's committed that sin. He's done it over and over again. And he finds himself in a desperate situation with the pigs, and it causes him to come to the realization that he has to return home. So much of the, and, and you can write this down if you're taking notes, so much of the Christian life begins in the mind. When we begin to think about who we are, when we begin to have those lies told to us that are spoken to us and we replay them over and over again, or when we get to our wits end and we begin to think how, 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 we need to, how we need to go back home, when we get our, at our wits end and we begin to think, I have, I have strayed from the thing that I know is going to yield the return. So here's this younger son. He's at his wits end. He's literally on the ground feeding the pigs, and he says, something's got to change. You've got to realize, desperation often initiates realization. It's been about a year ago now. I was... Um, I had gotten to the church that I was at before, and uh, it was one of those days where I just knew things weren't going to go right. It was a Sunday morning. Things were already kind of hectic, and I knew it was going to be a tough day, and so I got into the office, and my lead pastor said something to me and wanted something done, wanted something, something changed, which kind of frustrated me a little, and so I got out my phone, and I sent a text message to my wife, and I said, he's already done it. It's already happened. I didn't hear anything for a couple of minutes. I looked down at my phone and realized that I had actually sent that text to my pastor rather than my wife. So what do you think I did? I couldn't deny it at that point, right? I mean, literally, it says it came from me, and so I rush into his office, and I I have to set it up, right? I mean, there's nothing I can do but apologize because I was in a desperate place. Sometimes, sometimes God allows us as believers, as, as Pastor Kevin was saying, he is a good father. Sometimes he allows us to get to a desperate place so that we can get to a place where we realize that we need change. Sometimes he allows everything to be stripped away. Sometimes he allows everything so that we can find ourselves with the pigs so that we'll realize that we really needed him in the first place. This younger son had gone so far away. It took being with the pigs to realize that he needed to go back home. My question to you this morning is, what is keeping you from repenting and realizing that you need to go back home? What is that little thing in your heart, that little piece of bitterness, that little piece of unforgiveness, that little piece of sin that continues to rot away at your soul, and you're almost at the place, or you're going to be soon at the place where you are so desperate you're not going to have a choice? It's time to realize. So as he realizes he's hit rock bottom, verse 18 says, the younger son said, I will go home. 
to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. The second step, realize and then return. Realize and then return. So we get to a place of desperation so that we can realize what we need. And then the younger son says, I'm going to return back home. I've hit rock bottom, and so I am going to return. But we often do the, rock, the opposite when we hit rock bottom, don't we? I mean, a lot of times when our life seems to bottom out, it's when we abandon God rather than returning home to God. A lot of times when our life bottoms out, that's when we begin to make excuses. That's when a lot of people run from the church, is when their life kind of hits rock bottom and they don't understand, they don't have the answers. The church didn't respond the way they thought they should respond, and so they just, they just abandon church rather than returning to the people that can help them. They abandon church, or they abandon God, or they run from the Father. Not this younger son. He realized, and then he knew he had to return home. And here's the thing. Anybody that's ever been in the arms of your father, when you leave that father, you never forget being in his arms. A couple of months ago, our little guy was sick. He wasn't feeling good. He had thrown up a few times that night, and he had a fever, and I was sitting on the couch, and I had him, he was kind of sitting beside me, kind of in my lap a little bit, and he, all of a sudden he kind of scoots over a little bit and kind of just lays in my arms, and so he's still, I can still hold him like this, and I remember looking at my little boy that night with his face pale and him just kind of looking up dazed, he wasn't asleep, he was just kind of dazed, looking up dazed in the air, and I remember thinking, this is the way God sees me, like I can still fit in my father's arms. Like, he still holds me. He still wants to be, with the, to be with me. I don't care how far you strayed this morning. I don't, care, I don't care how much desperate situation you have even put yourself in. If you will realize and you return, the Father is always there to hold his arms open. That's what this younger son is about to figure out. Realize and return. Verse 20, the last part of that verse says, And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. God always runs after his children. Always, always. If we will realize and we will begin to return, he always runs after you. You have not strayed too far. I don't care what anybody's told you. I don't care what you have believed. I don't care what your parents taught you. I don't care what your, what your, what your, um, what your children are teaching you. I don't care how they're making you feel. God always runs to his children to accept them when they return back home. That's the return of repentance because the father always runs to return the love to his children when they return. It says he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. Verse 21 his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The third step is release. Realize, return, and release. And if you, if you, if you have your Bible open, I, I, want you, I want you to circle two words. One is when the son, younger son starts talking, he says, Father. And then at the end of that verse, he says, I am your son. You see, I, th I think there's a big misunderstanding about what it requires for repentance and what it actually takes to ask for forgiveness. The reason that this son's repentance yields a return in the end and the reason that his father is able to rejoice over him is because he was willing to release the guilt. But the reason he was willing to release the guilt is because he was willing to acknowledge who the father was. 
And he was also willing to acknowledge who he was. The problem and what sin does in our lives and where it becomes a problem and where it becomes hard-heartedness in us and the reason we're not willing to return is because we get those two mixed up. We forget who the father is. And we forget that we are the son or the daughter. And so when we begin to, to elevate ourselves, we can get to a place where we can, we can almost um, justify how God's not right anymore. And so regardless of how many times we try, to, we, we try to come back and we try to put it in God's hands until we realize that who he is, that's why worship is so important. Because worship means I am, I, am, I am realizing and I am acknowledging that my father is above me and bigger and better. And so the son says, Father, I know who you are. And as I've lived my own way, I've realized who I am. That's why I'm coming and I'm releasing this guilt to you. I have messed it up. I am nothing without you. You are everything to me. I have screwed it up. I have squandered everything you have given me because I realize who you are and who I am. That's the essence of repentance. Father, I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm your son, I'm your daughter, and I'm acknowledging who you are. I'm releasing my guilt. And the word is release because guilt is one of those things that sometimes we don't ever fully let go of. If you're here this morning and you've got some sort of something that's eating at you because you've done it, maybe it's five months, maybe it's five years, maybe it's 50 years in your past, when you acknowledge who he is, because acknowledging who he is isn't just so that he can put his thumb on you and say, Get out of here. It's because you realize that he is the only one that can elevate you. He is the only one worthy. And so he, he lifts you up as you acknowledge who he is. Release. I think some of Satan's greatest lies are, number one, it's all my fault. And number two, it's not my fault. I think those are some of the greatest lies Satan whispers to us. Because if we can believe that it's all our fault, we'll never let go of the guilt. But if we can believe it's not my fault, we'll never let go of the guilt either, will we? Acknowledge what you've done, but also acknowledge who he is. Because the Father is ready. Something beautiful happens when we release our conviction. Look at verse 22. It says, But his father said to the servants, Quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Number four is repair. Repair. Repentance expressed is relationship repaired. Because when we realize who the Father is and we know who he is, he is always willing to repair the relationship. And let me just say this. The only purpose of guilt in, a li in the life of believer is to bring us to the Father. God doesn't make you feel guilty. God doesn't convict you so that you will feel bad. God convicts you because ultimately he wants repair. He wants right relationship with you. That is the only purpose for guilt. And the Father is always willing to repair. He's always willing to put the ring on your finger he, he liked it, and he put a ring on it. He's always willing, always willing to repair. And look at the last step, verse 23. It says, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. 
The fifth step is rejoice. Rejoice. What does, what does heaven look like when one of us accepts Christ? What does heaven look like when we're willing to repent, we're willing to acknowledge what we've done wrong, we're willing to acknowledge who he is and who we're not? What does heaven do? I think this gives us a beautiful picture of it. Because heaven literally celebrates and throws a party and rejoices when relationship is repaired. But here's our end of the rejoicing. God, absolutely, he is, he is rejoicing. He is rejoicing that his child came home. He is rejoicing that you were willing to acknowledge and repent and return and that he could repair the relationship. But our job in the rejoicing is not only to quit doing something, but it's to turn back to God. Because we always celebrate what's most important to us. That's why... The Father celebrates the Son, but it's also why our lives should celebrate Jesus, because we were lost, and now we're found. We were dead, and now we're alive. That's the life of a believer. Rejoice. When repentance is real, rejoicing is inevitable. When repentance is real, rejoicing is inevitable. So ultimately, the younger son wanted his return on the inheritance. He wanted the return that was reserved for him when the father died. But ultimately, the son's return happened in the repentance. It's kind of like a sponge. Have you ever noticed what a sponge does? The only way the only way that it will soak up anything is if you let go of it. As long as you're holding on to a sponge, it's not going to soak anything up, is it? There's going to be no return in that sponge. The only way to get any kind of water into a sponge is to, to let go of it. Repentance is the same way. If you're looking to be filled this morning by doing the same stuff, by continuing to look at that, by continuing to do that, by continuing to have this hobby, by continuing to have this habit, by continuing to have this relationship, by continuing to do this and live this lifestyle, if you're looking for the return on so, to soak things up by squeezing, you're never going to get it by holding on to it. You got to let it go. You got to let it go. You got to repent. You've got to allow the relationship to be repaired. You've got to allow the Father to do what only He can do. You've got to acknowledge who He is and who you're not. Repentance really yields the return. Just like a dot-com startup. If we continue to invest our money in what the world sees as popular and what other people see as important, we're always going to lose out on our investment. The return comes in the repentance. Repentance happens in two directions. Repentance can happen in relationships. Oftentimes this morning I've been talking and you've been thinking about, you know, I've done stuff against God, but I had the person sitting beside me. I need to repent to them. Like I have hurt them. I have let them down. I have messed up. Repentance has to happen. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, if you're, if you're sitting here and you're talking to me and you have something against your brother, go fix it with your brother first. And so repentance always happens this way first, and then we have to get it right with God. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. 
For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.